Good evening and welcome to Over and Back, the show that focuses on the National Lacrosse League, Canadian Lacrosse League, and Major Series Lacrosse, with an emphasis on the Peterborough Lakers and their players playing pro. This is a special Easter edition of Over and Back. There'll be no live guests joining me in studio, but we are going to go to the archives at the end of the show and play the best of Over and Back, featuring the Peterborough Lakers that have been on the show this year. But first, we're going to start with some huge news that shook the lacrosse world. Last week, in Lacrosse We Trust, we obtained some detailed uh, reports surrounding the Man Cup that took place in Peterborough last September. In that series, it was the Peterborough Lakers versus the Langley Thunder. And the reports we got, they were from the Canadian Lacrosse Association Discipline Committee. And it revealed that they charged several members of each organization with violating the CLA Code of Conduct during that 2012 Canadian Senior Men's Lacrosse Championship. As a result, the Peterborough Lakers were fined $5,000, while the Langley Thunder were assessed a fine of $3,500. Suspensions were also handed out to players, coaches, and personnel from both organizations. So we're going to run that down for you real quick. And uh, the documents were pretty huge. The Peterborough document, it was four pages long. Not too bad. The Langley document was 14 pages long. So I'm just going to quickly summarize uh, some of the big things that happened, starting with the Lakers. Lakers head coach and general manager Jamie Batley he was named in the report for his involvement during two separate occasions, including assaulting a Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports, CCES, chaperone. Uh, he prevented the chaperone access to a player, as well as swearing and charging at a CCES doping official. Batley was given a five-game suspension and placed on probation for one year. On top of that, Batley has agreed to hold a press conference in Peterborough to public, uh, publicly apologize for his behaviour. Uh, he held a press conference last week, but we didn't see any apologies during that. Uh, he got close. He said he apologizes for the way this turned out. I don't know if that counts as the apology or if he's going to have another press conference. Not too sure, but stay tuned. We'll keep you posted on that. Peterborough assistant coach Bobby Keese, as well as the other assistant coach Jim Milligan, they were both named in the report for breaching the CLA Code of Conduct on September 12th of last year. The document states that Keese breached the code by yelling obscenities and stopping a CCES official while Milligan swore at a CCES doping control officer. After submitting letters of apology, charges against Keast were dropped while Milligan has been placed on one-year probation. Assistant trainers Roger Fowler and Steve Hines were also named in the documents for breaching the code of conduct. Fowler was charged with swearing and yelling at a doping control official and is also accused of possibly switching jerseys on a player selected for testing. Not sure what that means, possibly switching a jersey. Yeah, you either did or you didn't, so I'm not sure how they can accuse him of possibly switching a jersey, but that was on the report. Apparently, uh, the story goes, the doping officials did not know any faces of the players. They were just familiar with the jersey numbers, so that's where the old switcheroo came into play. But again, we're not sure if that happened. That's just possible switching of the jerseys. Steve Hines, the other trainer, he uh, breached the code by assaulting a CCESS chaperone. Fowler and Hines both submitted letters of apology, which resulted in charges against Fowler being dropped completely, while Hines was given a two-game suspension and placed on probation for one year. Langley, on the other hand, they have a longer rap sheet than Peterborough. Ten pages longer, to be exact. We'll start off with Langley's general manager, Jerry Van Beek. He was named several times in the documents, and he'll be suspended for one game, 
Plus, he was placed on probation for one year. Van Beek breached the provisions of the CLA Code of Conduct by tweeting events during the doping control, which is breaching confidentiality and privacy. He also tweeted a picture of Shane Jackson seated with a doping official, which has also been deemed a violation. Van Beek also verbally engaged words with a Peterborough player in the hallway, and police had to come in and intervene in that situation. Van Beek admits to using foul language during that exchange, but he said he did not believe this was in violation of the code of conduct. Head coach Rod Jensen, he was named numerous times in the report, and he'll face the biggest punishment of anyone. Jensen has admitted to criticizing the CLA and the media, as well as making inappropriate remarks about CLA convener Chuck Miller. But Jensen denies that he, uh, verbally, he was verbally aggressive and abusive with one of the CCES doping control officials. The report also states that he berated personnel for wearing identification because it might upset his players, but he denies that too. Jensen has been placed on probation for one year and was given a 10-game suspension, two games for each of the code of conduct violations, plus four games for his crude and rude behavior towards an official. That was right in the report, crude and rude behavior. And I believe that was towards a referee, if I'm not mistaken, but I can't confirm that. We heard some things at the end of the series, that uh, some exchanges between him and the referees, but all it says there is official. All the other ones specifically said doping control officials. This one says solely official, so I'm uh, assuming. I know you should never assume, but I think this was uh, with the referee, but again, I can't confirm that. Thunder forward Ethan Iannucci was also named, but it was concluded that in the larger scheme of things, his role was relatively minor, and he was found not to be in violation of the Code of Conduct. Iannucci was originally accused of walking away from doping officials and avoiding them after Game 4. Iannucci said that he did not know it was a doping official, and that's why he walked past, and he needed to get to the hospital to treat an injury he had suffered in that game. So everything against him has been dropped. And those were the big suspensions there, and we'll see those suspensions begin in the 2013 season, so in a few months. Uh, also, if you want to see the entire documents, you can go to inlacrossewetrust.com, go to the Canadian lacrosse section, and uh, you'll see right at the very bottom of my story both the Langley and the Lakers documents. Pretty lengthy documents, but pretty interesting stuff. And that has been all the talk around uh, this area for the last week or so, and all across Canada for that matter. Big, big story, and uh, I don't think there'll be any more to come out. That was pretty much it in those reports there. Jamie Batley, one, part of his punishment was to hold a press conference apologizing for his actions. He held a press conference the very next day after these uh, documents were released. Don't know if he apologized, though. Uh, he came close. He said he apologizes for the way things turned out, but he was uh, part of his punishment was to apologize for his behavior. So I don't know if that counts or not. We'll have to see. But anyway, moving on and leaving all that stuff behind us, we're very excited for the season to kick off. Major Series Lacrosse, first game of the year. Uh, it is going to be the Peterborough Lakers and the Brampton Excelsiors. They are arch rivals. They have met each other several times in the finals over the past decade. The season will kick off in Peterborough, Ontario on May 23rd. So looking forward to that. And we'll leave, as I said, all that drama behind us. And we'll just focus on the upcoming season.
Let's recap the National Lacrosse League scores now. It was a very busy uh, week after a quiet week last week. Week 12 uh, only had three games. Week 13 was a different story. It kicked off on Friday night in Toronto as the Toronto Rock hosted the Buffalo Bandits. This started off as a great back-and-forth game, and then in the second half, Toronto just took over and dominated. 18-11 was the final score. For the Buffalo Bandits, John Tavares, he had two goals, two assists, while Mark Stainhouse played a very chippy game. He had one goal and two assists. Chris White on the other side for the Rock, he had one loose ball. Mike Hobbins had two assists. And Scotty Evans, for some reason, was a healthy scratch. He was in the lineup on Saturday night. We'll get to that. But Friday night, he was out of the lineup. No reason. Just a healthy scratch. But anyway, we'll, uh, I won't even get on that. That's always upsetting when I see him out of the lineup. Toronto's big gun was Colin Doyle. He had three goals and four assists. The second game on Friday night, it saw the Minnesota Swarm destroy the Philadelphia Wings by a score of 20-11. to 11. For the Philadelphia Wings, no Peterborough Lakers on there, but I will mention Angus Dinley. He had 31 saves in the loss. He's the former number one goalie in the Canadian Lacrosse League, played for the Toronto Shooting Stars all year. He was called up to Philly right before the trade deadline, so it's good to see him getting some action, even though it was a loss good for him to finally make it up to the big show and I hope he does well in the last stretch of this season on the Minnesota side Brock Sorensen he had one goal Andrew Watt had one assist Josh Gillum had one goal five assists but Jordan McIntosh was on fire he had four goals and 11 loose balls Tyler Carlson Peterborough Lakers goalie he did not play that game on Saturday, it was the Toronto Rock, their second game of the weekend. They traveled to Rochester to face the Nighthawks. Rochester beat them 12-8. to It was a great back-and-forth game. Toronto looked a little bit sluggish, a little bit tired, but it was still a good game on both sides. Mike Hobbins, he had four loose balls. Chris White had one loose ball. And Scott Evans was back in the lineup, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, he was healthy, scratched on Friday. He had a great game on Saturday in the loss. He had one goal, two assists, and six loose balls. It still bugs me. How do you sit a guy that is that productive? Every game he plays in, he's definitely uh, under opponent's skin. He's always on the scoreboard. And, again, I'm not going to get into it just because that's a whole other story, and I don't want to go off on a huge rant, but always upsets me. I watched it last year with Edmonton. They sat Scotty out the entire playoffs. They would have won the whole thing had they had Evie in the lineup for the playoffs. But again, I will stop it right there before I go off on too much of a rant. Garrett Billings, he led the Toronto Rock that night. He had three goals, three assists, and he surpassed Shawnee Evans in the NLL scoring race. We'll get to that at the end. On Rochester's side, newest Rochester Nighthawks, Scott Self, he had two loose balls. Brad Self, he had an empty net goal, two assists, and four loose balls. Corey Vitarelli, he had the best game of all the Peterborough Lakers. He had two goals, two assists, and he had an amazing wraparound goal. If you haven't had a chance to see it, you can go to my Twitter page, at ScottArnold12, and I've got the goal on there. Corey's cutting to the net on the left side. And he does a little fake, goes around the net, has the goalie fooled, 
just comes diving around from behind the net and literally wraps it in the top corner. Unbelievable goal. One of the best we've seen all year. On Saturday, the Philadelphia Wings traveled to Colorado to take on the Mammoth. The Denver Pepsi Center, they've been getting huge crowds this year. They had another one on Saturday. 15,292 fans packed into the Madhouse to see this game. I think that's what they call it. No, the Loud House, I think, what John Grant always refers it to on his Twitter when I'm reading that. So that's a huge, huge crowd. Colorado, 10 Philly 9. That was Philly's second loss of the weekend. They're sliding quickly. Kevin Crowley was their big gun. He had four goals, one assist. For Colorado, Jamie Lincoln had two assists. Ty Belanger had 37 saves in the net. Former Peterborough Jr. A product. And John Grant Jr. He had two goals, three assists. I'm going to talk about John for a little bit. If you haven't been following his trick shot videos, I seem to mention these every week, but he keeps releasing videos every week, so he's always giving me something to talk about. They have three videos released so far. Again, you can go to my Twitter page, at ScottArnold12, and I have tweeted about these videos over the last couple weeks, and they are amazing. The first one, he's at the Pepsi Center. Then he goes into this canyon, this concert hall uh, that's in a huge canyon, and uh, last week he is at Casa Bonita, something like that. I apologize if I get the name wrong, but something Bonita. He's talking a bit of Spanish. He's playing the piano as he scores a goal. It's just incredible. Four trick shots with John Grant. Every video is four shots, and he is just a magician, a man from another planet. So make sure you check those videos out. On Saturday night, later on, it was the Calgary Roughnecks defeating the Washington Stealth. Another come-from-behind victory for the Roughnecks. Sean Evans, he had one goal, six assists for the Roughnecks. Well, on the other side for the Washington Stealth, their captain and Peterborough Laker, Kyle Sorensen, he had one goal, one assist. And Mike Grimes, you might have been wondering why the last few weeks why I keep talking about him. He doesn't play for the Lakers, but he's a Peterborough boy. So I'm definitely going to keep mentioning him. He had one assist and six loose balls. We'll run down the standings for you real quick. In the East, Toronto is still in first. They've clinched a playoff berth. They're two and a half games ahead of the Rochester Nighthawks. Philly, as I said, they're slipping. They're three games behind. And the Buffalo Bandits, they're also slipping. They're having a rough last few weeks. They are three and a half games out of first. In the West... Calgary and Edmonton are tied for first. They've both clinched playoff berths. Washington Stealth, they're one game behind. Minnesota is two and a half games behind. And Colorado is three games behind. I talked about Garrett Billings earlier. He surpassed Shawnee Evans and overtook him for the scoring lead. He has 92 points now. And he also leads in assists, another category that Shawnee was leading in up until this week. Garrett Billings has 64 assists. Shawnee is right behind him, though. He has 89 points. That's a career high for him. So he's going to smash his previous career high and maybe break into triple digits. He only needs 11 more points to get into 100, so he'll probably uh, end up achieving that this year. Shawnee also has 62 assists, so he's second in assists. And John Grant Jr. is in there as well. He's leading the league in goals with 37 and speaking of John Grant Jr., make sure you stay tuned because when I'm done recapping the Canadian Lacrosse League scores, we are going to take you back to Episode 1 where my guest was John Grant Jr. 
As I said at the top of the hour, this is a very special Easter edition of Over and Back. There are no live guests in the studio today, so we are going to the archives. Episode 1, lacrosse legend John Grant Jr. It was a very interesting interview. A lot of rust on my microphone, but I had fun nonetheless. So make sure you tune in. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, let's take you to the Canadian Lacrosse League. They wrapped up Week 12 over the weekend. Friday night, the Iroquois Ironmen, they travel. They didn't travel far. They play at the same arena as their opponent. They both play at the Iroquois Lacrosse Arena. The Oshuican Demons defeated the Ironmen 15-14. to Iroquois really needed to win that game. They are fighting for that sixth and final playoff spot with the Barry Blizzard. But Oshuican is a tough opponent and they just squeaked out a victory on this night. For the Ironmen, Jerome Thompson, he had three goals, two assists. For the Demons, Wayne Van Every, he had the six-goal sock trick, and he also added in three assists. On Saturday, the Barry Blizzard were smoked by the Niagara Lock Monsters, 21-9. Barry, as I mentioned, they're also fighting for that sixth and final playoff spot. They have one game left, Iroquois, has two games left. If they end up tied at the end of the regular season, Barry is going to get in based on head-to-head -head goal differential. So we're going to have to see what happens next weekend and who gets that final playoff spot. Mike Teeter led the way for the Blizzard on Saturday. He had three goals. And for the Lock Monsters, they were led by Corey Fowler. Four goals, four assists. And Dylan Lord and Andrew Potter each had three goals and six assists in that blowout victory. On Sunday afternoon, the Durham Turf Dogs, they defeated the Barry Blizzard 14-9. So Barry needs a win, and they couldn't squeak one out at all over this weekend. For the Durham Turf Dogs, Eric Bissell, John St. John, Scott Francesco, and Todd Collins each had two goals and one assist. On the other side for Barry, Mike Teeter again. He had two goals, two assists, great weekend for him unfortunately he would rather take a win than rack up the points but it is what it is and they have one game left to try and squeak into that final playoff spot as I said though Iroquois has a game in hand so their fate could be sealed if Iroquois wins both of those games highly unlikely that that'll happen Iroquois hasn't won well Iroquois has won two games all year but that's all they've won so never mind winning two in a row that feat is going to be pretty tricky for them so, again, we will see at the end of the weekend who gets that sixth and final playoff spot. There was another Sunday afternoon game. The Brampton Inferno, they defeated the Niagara Lock Monsters. The Lock Monsters have been red hot. That was a nine-game win streak that was snapped in that loss. So Niagara hasn't lost since early February, but Brampton Inferno, they were red hot going into uh, St. Catharines. That's where the Lock Monsters play out of. They snapped that nine-game win streak. Ryan Campbell led the way for Brampton with four goals. Cody Adamson had two goals, four assists. Pat Saunders had two goals and two assists. We're going to look at the standings now. Niagara still remains in first, obviously, after that nine-game win streak. They have 22 points. The Toronto Shooting Stars, Brampton Inferno, and the Oshuican Demons all have 16 points. Big log jam there in second. The Durham Turf Dogs, they have 14 points, so they're only a couple points out of uh, joining that. And Iroquois and Barry sit at four points. As I mentioned, we will see this weekend what happens. Iroquois has a very tough road ahead of them. 
I said they've only won two games all year, so it's very unlikely they'll win two in a row. They travel to Brampton on Friday. Brampton, who just beat the first-place Niagara Lock Monsters. So good luck with that one, Iroquois. And then on Saturday, they travel to Durham to face the Turf Dogs. And as always, you can listen to that game live on the Lacrosse Radio Network. I'll have the call at 2 p.m. You can go to the website, www.inlacrossewetrust.com. And at the top of the home page, there is a radio link that you can click on, and you can listen to that game live. On Sunday, it's the Toronto Shooting Stars taking on the Barry Blizzard. That is a 2 o'clock matinee. This could be the biggest game of the year for the Barry Blizzard, or if Iroquois wins on Friday and Saturday, both those games, this could be a meaningless game for the Blizzard. But as I said earlier, very unlikely that Iroquois will win both of these. They've only won two games all year. Highly doubtful they're going to win two in a row now, but stranger things have happened. But I think, my prediction, this will be the biggest game of the year for the Barry Blizzard, and it will decide whether or not they get into that sixth and final playoff spot. Looking at the league leaders now, Sitting atop the scoring race, it's Corey Fowler of the Niagara Lock Monsters. He has 79 points, and in sitting in second, his teammate Andrew Potter, he has 78 points. They both shattered the CLAC single-season record that was set last year by Chris Atwood. He had 72 points last season, so they have well surpassed that total. So congratulations to both of those Lock Monsters. Wayne Van Every sits in third place with 68 points. And as promised, we're going to go to the archives. We're going to go way back to episode one with my guest, John Grant Jr. In case you missed it at the top of the hour, this is a special Easter edition of Over and Back. There's no live guests in the studio today. That's why we're going back to the archives. The first episode we ever did with lacrosse legend John Grant Jr. We're going to be back live next week, though, at 7 p.m. Eastern. I have a very special guest lined up. It's a surprise guest. You're not going to want to miss that. So make sure you tune in next week, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here live on the Lacrosse Radio Network. But for now, sit back and enjoy Episode 1 of Over and Back with the greatest lacrosse player in the world, John Grant Jr. My guest today, he needs no introduction. If you don't know who he is, then uh, you don't know lacrosse, ladies and gentlemen. It's John Grant, Jr. of the Colorado Mammoth. Uh, thanks so much for being on the first episode of Over and Back, John. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so we'll talk about Saturday's game. You guys had a tough loss in week four. Uh, the Mammoth, though, you guys bounced back this weekend with a huge win over the Swarm. They knocked you guys out of the playoffs last year. Was revenge on your mind going into Saturday's game? I think so a little bit. It's the first time we've seen them since they, uh, you know, exited the, the playoffs last year. But you know, more than anything, we were just trying to bounce back after a horrific game against Calgary two weeks ago. Yeah, that game against Calgary was a tough one. Uh, I talked to you earlier in the week uh, about Shawnee Evans. He ended up with a roughnecks record. You had a big game last weekend, and you came back with 11 points yourself. Uh, was that kind of uh, to show him uh, what you got as well? No, no, not at all. It's just. Uh, 
you know, my role on the team is to distribute the ball. I have the ball off my stick, and, uh, you know, I focused all week on not forcing shots as much as I did against Calgary. And, uh, you know, the boys put the ball in the net, so it was a it was a good game for us offensively to get back on track. But uh, more importantly, I think Royker and the D uh, stepped up and played a great game at the back end. Yeah, speaking of Royke, uh, obviously he got the start after uh, Mammoth released Chris Levis earlier in the week. Uh, he was able to make some big saves early. Did that help you guys relax a little, knowing that Matt was on his game? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, obviously there's been a lot of talk about a goaltending situation, and, you know, that gets everyone kind of on pins and needles. The offense, you know, are forcing shots, and the D got forced out. So, you know, I think for him to get in there, get calm, get settled, and, and just give us the solid stops we needed. I mean, game of the cross, you're going to score goals. So, he was able just to focus on uh, stopping the ones that he needed to stop. And, uh, you know, for us, he got kind of hot and uh, we rolled through. So it was, a, it was a very big win for us. We needed that one, especially at home. And the other end of the net, Tyler Carlson was in net, uh, your Pedro Laker teammate. He was chased out of the net after allowing nine goals on 30 shots. Three of those goals were yours. Do you find it easier going up against a goalie like that, someone you're used to shooting against in practice? No, not really. I mean, we... Uh, I find goalies that I play against a lot seem to know my tendencies. Um, you know, back in the day when I played against played with Pat O'Toole, I could never score him a practice. He he knew where I was going before I did, and you know, I think Carlton probably knew a lot about where I was going to go. But you know, we chased uh, Kirk out of there pretty quick, and we were anticipating Carlton all week, so we were ready for him. We weren't really ready for Kirk, but for some reason uh, we were able to get to him early, and uh, we ended up seeing both. Let's talk a little bit more about Saturday's game, because this wasn't just any old game in Denver. Uh, you guys were doing lacrosse out cancer night at the Pepsi Center. Uh, did you hear how much you guys raised, or was that a number that uh, came to almost, almost 11000 I think. Yeah, 10000 uh, Over 10000 I heard, uh, was the last total. So that's an amazing, incredible amount for an incredible cause. You guys have done that for a few years, have you? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, they've done it for three years I've been here. Um, I'm not sure before that how long they've been doing it. But City of Denver is one of the sports teams, and they love they love rallying behind them. And I think, you know, it was our biggest and boisterous crowd of the season. And, uh, you know, they definitely helped support, uh, you know, a very worthy cause. And, uh, you know, I think it was incredible that the City of Denver could, could step to the plate like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, enough about Saturday. Let's go back a few years. So you were first drafted into the NLL by the Bandits in uh, 95, but instead you went the NCAA field across route. You ended up going to Delaware. Are you glad you went that route, or do you look back wishing that you had started in the NLL right away? Oh, no. I, I wish I was still in college. I think uh, playing across in the NCAA was a thrill of mine and you know something I almost kind of blew a few times by just not focusing on my schooling as much as I should have. And, uh, you know, I stayed with it, persevered, and was able to get a degree. Um, and I think that was, a, you know, a big a big thing for me and, and my future. But, uh, you know, I told the band at the 95, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to work on it. But, you know, they took a chance figuring maybe I would sail out <laughs> and uh, and drafted me and Mr. Kluski anyways. But, uh, you know, I stuck with it, and uh, I'm glad I did. Yeah, the Bandits took in a third round, so if anyone who looks that up and uh, didn't know the whole college thing would be kind of wondering what's going on there. But, uh do you find field lacrosse helped your game, or do you think they're two different forms of lacrosse? Uh, I think they're two different forms of lacrosse, but for me they're very similar. Um, you know, I play kind of the same game in field as I do in box. You know, I like to, you know, kind of carry the ball from behind, and if I beat my defender, shoot. If not, draw a double and feed. So 
I play very similar, but uh, the game itself is, is completely different. Um, a lot more wide open, a lot more slowed down. Obviously, in the MLL, the pro field, we have a shot clock, which uh, speeds the game up, which is good, because I think, you know, the American game itself is pretty slow. Um, you know, just a fast pace and shot and go. And, uh, you know, I think they're moving towards that way in college across as well. So I think, uh, you know, pretty soon you're going to see a very fast, wide open game. And, you know, all I can say, the American guys are, are incredible athletes. So if anything, it's just the field across game gets me more focused on fitness and getting to be the best athlete I can be. Well, the, the NLL, uh, it's loaded with talent right now. There's a lot of great defensive guys, a lot of offense, and there's a balance among teams that, I mean, we've never seen this before. Any team can win on any given night. Do you find the NLL is tougher to play in now than when you first broke into the league 13 years ago? Well, without a doubt. I mean, you know, we had, uh, you know, there's no easy game anymore. You know, back a few years ago, you could pencil a game on your schedule and be like, you know what, this is probably going to be a pretty much a guaranteed win. You don't have that anymore. Like, look at last year, for example, the team, two teams with almost the worst records in the league are in the finals. So anything can happen on any given week, and uh, I think that's great for the fans, and it's definitely great for the players playing because you have to bring it every weekend. Every weekend's a playoff game, and I think the fans are getting to see the best across the world as a result. But I think there's room and there's enough talent in the league for a couple more teams to come in, and... Uh, Hopefully there's a bit of expansion coming up to give some more guys, you know, guys Byland and Felix and the NALL, uh, you know, a shot at the big league. Yeah, they they had a couple exhibition games this year. They had one out in Langley. Obviously, I don't expect a team to be out in Langley. I think they were just kind of sampling it. But big game was out in Montreal. Uh, do you think it's looking closer to getting a team back in Montreal? Well, who knows? I think anything that CBA has got to be taken care of first and foremost before, you know, any other team kind of jumps in, on board. But... You know, it'd be awesome to have a team in Montreal. It's a phenomenal city, and uh, you know, it's too bad it ended so shortly back when it did. But uh, you know, if you talk to any of the old timers, like the guys my dad uh, played back in the '70s, uh, Montreal Quebec was a final, the championship final one year, and uh, you know, I think pretty much both arenas were sold out. So there's capabilities there. It's just you, you got to market it the right way and uh, really go after it. But there's a few cities that in North America that I think that definitely need a team, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I definitely hope it expands. Uh, you talked about your dad there for a second. So I grew up in Peterborough, and uh, obviously you did as well. I was around the lacrosse rink every day of the summer. Everyone used to tell me that your father invented the backhand. Was he the first one to take the backhand shot in a game, or is that just a Peterborough legend I was hearing? I think that, I think that the man responsible for behind the back of the backhand would be Bobby Allen, from what uh, my father told me. and I think my dad watched him do it and, and kind of took it from there. Um, it could be him or maybe a guy like Jack Bionda. I'm not really sure, but um, basically my dad got it from him and, uh, you know, I think did quite a good job of it. And obviously I stole it from him and you know, I continue to use it. Stay with your dad for a second. So he's uh, he's going to be helping out with Peter O. Minor Lacrosse this summer. It's a program that's been around for decades. We both went through the system. Is that something you're going to be involved with this summer, or are you just going to focus on the Lakers and uh, your bar at the Montreal House? Yeah, I, I mean, my summertime is uh, basically pretty jam-packed. I've got Evolve uh, Lacrosse, Evolve Elite, which is our travel teams. We have nine travel teams, me and uh, Tracy Clark. We run that program. Um, so that keeps us pretty busy, plus uh, we run a lot of camps um, through that. We're four or five cities in Ontario, a few in the States. And I do free, a lot of freelance camps as well, where I'll be in Boston, Dallas, and Atlanta. So 
I won't really have enough time to uh, dedicate, you know, to Peterborough itself. I'm basically uh, living out of a suitcase June, July, and August, plus 12, two, two teams I play for during that time as well. So, um, you know, it's a maddening three months, but uh, I love it, and it's a game of lacrosse. It's something I really love, so I'd love to give back and just immerse myself in it completely. So you got a really busy summer, obviously, but are you going to come back to the Lakers? Is that going to be one of your summer teams again? I, I, I never I never really think about this, the season ahead. I've got one with the Mammoth right now, and that's what I'm focused on. Um, you know, if I play for Peterborough and the Bayhawks again, who knows? But, uh, you know, it's going to get to a point down the road here pretty soon where my uh, old body just can't handle playing that many games in the summer. But I don't know if it will be this year, next, or whatever. But, as I said, I'm focused on Colorado lacrosse right now, and that's really all I'm thinking about. So you said your body, uh, you sometimes uh, feel it a little bit more. Do you think uh, you're going to keep playing longer than John Tavares? Is that the goal here? Because someone was saying on the weekend that John uh, is going to keep playing to get his point totals up so you can never catch him. That's kind of what I heard. Uh, ongoing joke, obviously. But is that something that you guys kind of think about? Oh, I don't really. I mean, I think he's uh, you know, the best that he's ever played. And it's uh, truly remarkable that he's still battling like he is at 44 and being so, so you know, he's still so competitive and top of the league. But, uh yeah, I don't foresee my body holding out another six years, to be quite honest. But uh, you never know. Um, you know, I'm going to keep working and doing everything I possibly can to play because um, I love to do it. And, uh, you know, I'll play until someone no longer wants me, I guess. <laughs> so we, we were just talking about the Peterborough Lakers. There's a lot of your teammates from that squad. They're having great NLL seasons so far. Obviously, most notably, Shawnee Evans, who we touched about. Uh, is there a brotherhood within you guys, or uh, is that all out the window once the NLL season starts? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of strange. I mean, I've never really liked to play against really close buddies. I I find it difficult. But you know, when the, you know, the lights come on and you run out of the tunnel with your NLL jersey on, you don't really think about you know who's on the other team and that your buddies or anything like that. You battle to the death with the guys you you're in the room with. But uh, you know, when you look back after the game and and have a uh, you know a beverage with the guys that you battled with in the summer. It's nice to kind of reminisce. But uh, on the floor, it's business as usual, and uh, try to kill each other for two hours, and then uh, then I think unless something really happens during the game, then you kind of hang out a little bit after. So it's great to see a lot of the Peterborough guys after the game in Minnesota, and obviously it helps when we have the, our hands raised in victory, and they did. Yeah, in, the, in that game, actually, uh, Suter scored a beauty goal as you were chasing him down. I don't know if people realized how nice that goal actually was. He dragged his feet, kind of switched it over and in, and then uh, he helped you up right after. So definitely noticed some Laker love there. Did you guys hang out after that game? Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, it was good to see a lot of those guys. And, uh, yeah, that's not in particular. I thought I almost killed Royce or, or Suter. So once I slammed out, you know, someone's going to probably go down, but we all got out of that one unscathed, so it was nice, and uh, I saw the replay after I got yelled at by the coach for uh, causing that goal, but uh, yeah, kudos to Suter over there. Yeah, so earlier in the week, we talked about your six-goal sock trick that uh, you got in week three. A lot of fans were asking me where the term came from. I'd never heard of the term, so I ended up asking uh, Selfer, Brad Self, a Nighthawk defenseman. He told me the first time he heard it was in Colorado after Gary Gates scored six, is that where the sock trick developed, or have you heard the term elsewhere? No, I think it's the Colorado Mammoth thing. Um, I don't know who started or when, but uh, you know, I, I know when my first or second year playing against them, Brian Langtree had one, and we were kind of like, "What is going on?" But uh, you know, sometimes it can be a real, 
real detriment to the team. I had one last year against Philly, and they, you know, by the time they were done cleaning up all the socks, it kind of quelled our momentum, and we ended up losing that game. So, you know, I know they're screaming for people not to throw their socks out there, but they're the best fans in the league, best fans, the proud fans in the world. So, you know, if they want to take their socks off, fire them on the floor, you know, good for them. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. My mother-in-law, she she thought I actually got to keep all the socks, which was a little strange, but... <laughs> I had to tell her that uh, that would be off the growth. <laughs> <laughs> in Peterborough, uh, Peterborough, they have the red bra ladies, so I don't know if the socks are going to come out this summer here. As I said, a lot of people are talking about it, so maybe that will be the new thing here. And uh, I don't think it will ever replace the red bra ladies, but we'll see what happens. I'm going to bring a few extra socks this summer, and uh, hopefully we'll see a few sock tricks. Uh, I'm just going to talk a bit. You've You've won every major lacrosse championship there is. Plus, you've been named MVP in every pro league you've ever played in. But, I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't really say that. It wasn't until you won the Man Cup uh, in 2004 that championships started following. How hard were the first few years for you, always chasing the trophy? And why do you think so many championships followed after that first Man Cup? I don't know. I think winning is contagious. And, uh, you know, the harder you, when you're not winning, it, you know, it seems, you know, almost unbearable to continually lose. And it just bears down on you mentally and you know, uh you know, it's awfully strange and still looking back, you know, blowing my knee out two thousand four and not even supposed to be playing that summer, you know, was the you know, the kind of first championship I had and I don't know why, but uh, obviously it's a it's a testament just to great teams I played on. But yeah, it was a pretty healthy run there of championships and uh, you know, hopefully it continues. Uh, I'd love to get a few more before I call it quits and especially for the mammoth, uh, this city deserves a championship and a championship at home um, would be something that this you know this town would explode. So that is something to shoot for, and uh, obviously that's the only reason we play the game is to win championships. Well, your your six goal sock trick from week three it inspired me to create this next part of the show. It's uh, I ask the same six questions to every guest in a segment I call sock trick. Uh, just some six quick questions here. Who is the most talented player in the NLL currently? That is a, that's a fairly difficult question. There's a lot of guys out there. I mean, you look, any given week, you got a guy putting, five, you know, five and five, or, you know, like Shawnee Evans right now is up there. Um, you know, Garrett Dillon from Toronto is, you know, you know, easily should have been the MVP last year, and uh, looks like he's playing that well this year. And what can I say? The Iron Man himself, Sean Williams, is putting together another spectacular year, and, uh, you know, there's just to name a few. Uh, who's the toughest guy in the league? Defensively or fighting? Uh, let's do both. Defensively, who's the toughest guy to kind of go against one-on-one when you're down there? Who do you like to kind of get away from uh, when you have the ball? Uh, you know, I'm not going to say because I'm going to give uh, that guy any confidence. But there's a couple guys right there that I have trouble with. But uh, for the sake of my uh, <laughs> performance, I'm going to leave that alone. But without a doubt, out, uh, 42 to call that man is definitely the tough guy until... So if someone takes Rory down, he's uh, he's the leader. Perfect. Would you say he's the toughest fighter then as well? Uh, would you put that title on him too? Well, uh, I think so. He, uh, you know, until he loses that crown, it's his. And uh, you know, what can I say? Playing defense for Team Canada has given him all the confidence. And playing against him this summer, he uh, he's an excellent defender. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of really good defenders that I'm not going to give them uh, that credit until season's over. Uh, what uh, road arena has the best dressing room, the nicest dressing rooms? Oh, um, road arena. 
Yeah, there's somewhere you go in that's just, yeah. I like the pizza in Toronto. That helps. It's good to get home and get some pizza pizza. I just think the ACC and everything that, you know, Toronto brings, family, friends, and just everything, you know, they get TSN, it's first class all the way. Uh, Dallas there with the Rock does a phenomenal job. So I'll give it to there. It's the toughest place to play, but it's also the most enjoyable, if that makes any sense. Well, that kind of, yeah, definitely makes sense. Brings me to my next question, actually. As a visiting team, what arena has the rowdiest fans? Well, they don't get the fans they used to, but it's still a maddening place to play in Philadelphia, especially uh, they're very, very smart in their uh, their taunts and their uh, barbs with the players. And, uh, you know, they get to me pretty good. Uh, you know, they use my old man and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I've always had kind of a... Tough time playing there, whether I played well or not played well. It's uh, you know, it's definitely a barn that gets in your head. Yeah, Buffalo seems to pack their arena. Is it uh, good lacrosse fans there? Or they give you a tough time, or are they uh, they seem very supportive and into the game. Anything I watch? Yeah, I mean, I I would have to say it's a tough place to play. That's relatively new now. They're getting fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand. But yeah, when I used to play there at Rochester, they uh, they give it to you pretty good, loud, and you know they're very knowledgeable as well. You know, obviously Philly's got a special place for me just because my dad played there, and you know that's you know something there. But you know, there's a there's a few barns that are tough. I mean, it used to be impossible to come to Colorado and get a win, but <laughs> last few years we haven't been uh, that tough at home. So hopefully we can get that kind of back. Uh, besides Junior, do you have a nickname that your teammates call you, or is that the only one? No, I got a lot of daddy calls last year, but uh, <laughs> I kind of I was uh, a little. A little fed up with that, but, uh, you know, the kids are so young here that, you know, because I'm you know, almost double the age of some of these guys, that was kind of it. But, yeah, junior, junes, that's about it. Nothing really, uh, nothing really more than that. So, some of the guys, uh, they have full-time jobs outside of here or hobbies outside of lacrosse. Uh, you mentioned uh, Evolve Lacrosse. Uh, do you do anything else uh, when you're not playing during the week? No, yeah, I do a lot of community stuff out here. I have a title as Director of Fan Development, so... I'm constantly in the community doing um, appearances and going out to schools and hospitals and just, you know, just constantly representing the mammoths in this great city and, uh, you know, just trying to raise awareness for the people that just don't really know a lot about us to get, you know, more people in the barn. And uh, like I said, just constantly getting um, my off-field adventures going with the, the travel teams and the camps and that kind of stuff. I think that's the best part about the NLL is so many players are out there sort of getting the game, uh, getting their name out there, getting the game out there and growing the sport. And we see it every year. Uh, I used to think it was just a Petero thing, but now that I'm getting out there, it's definitely growing nationwide and into North America. So guys like you, we definitely appreciate you getting out there, doing the things you do and helping the kids out. Uh, one last thing, John, you guys play Washington this weekend and uh, I'm stacked with stealth players in my fantasy league. So I was hoping that maybe you could let uh, Nooch and Cliff Smith get a few points because uh, it'll definitely help me uh, out of a bind. My wife is 35 points behind me right now. So uh, you think you can help me out this weekend and ease up or are you going to go uh, full out? No, no, I won't be eating up for anybody. That's, uh, you know, I was involved in that fantasy thing last year and I just thought professionally it was uh, something not to do this year. So I, I stayed out of it this year that, uh, um, you know, I think it's great that fans can get involved in that, and uh, I think it's a pretty good thing. It's just showing that the league's growing, and, uh, you know, I'd love to see it. But, yeah, I'll do my best to, uh, to hurt your fantasy team this week. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the first episode of Over and Back. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck this weekend in Washington.
Thank you. And that'll do it for the Easter edition of Over and Back. Make sure you join me next week. I'm going to have a very special guest. You'll have to tune in to find out who that is next Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Lacrosse Radio Network. I'm Scott Arnold, and thanks for listening to Over and Back.